Welcome to Books in the Wild, the podcast about exploring books. I'm Carrie Schroeder. It's been a while since our last episode. I've been busy with other projects, and unfortunately, I've been neglecting this podcast a bit. So thank you for hanging in there. I have a few updates before we talk about today's topic, which is all about fake newspapers and prop printing. If you've listened to this podcast before, you probably know that I'm a bookmaker and an artist, aka book artist, and this podcast is about book arts. And if you haven't listened before, then now you also know that information. I make books and prints and things under the name Coyote Bones Press, and recently I inherited some amazing equipment to add to my studio, aka garage, aka I park my car on the street in front of my house now. Some of the highlights are a cabinet full of metal type for letterpress printing, a guillotine paper cutter, which is a ginormous overkill of a contraption used for cutting stacks of paper, and my new sweet little baby, a poco-proof press, which is a small press that was used to make proofs before you actually printed it. It basically works the same as any other cylinder press, but the form needs to be hand-inked, and there really isn't any way to register for multicolor printing. Although I have found some people online that have come up with inventive registration systems and create really nice multicolor prints from it. Fixing up the press and trying to work in the studio has been taking up a lot of my time lately. And if you would like to hear more about the Poco Proof Press, I've written a blog post over about it on the Inklings blog over at Edition Studio. Editions is a book arts co-working space and gallery in Seattle, but it's also a worldwide community of book artists. The Edition Studio website has a blog of all things book arts, and the forums are a great place to connect with other book artists, ask for advice, share techniques, and find collaborators. The Edition store has lots of paraphernalia, and you can sign up for classes both in Seattle and online to learn more about book arts and the business of book arts. You can learn more at editions.studio. Another cool thing that may interest you, bookmakers and printers, is the Paper Carnival's limited edition book art enamel pins, which you can find at thepapercarnival.com, and use coupon code BOOKSINTHEWILD for 15% off your order. The Paper Carnival is a side project from myself and Julie Chen of Flying Fish Press, where we make book art-related collectibles that aren't actual books. Right now we have six different book art tool pins, like a nipping press, a Vandercook, a composing stick, a pica pole, and we have more that are coming out soon. And on Saturday, April 21st, 2018, in San Jose, Coyote Bones Press and the Paper Carnival will be at the SF Bay Area Printers Fair in Ways Goose. Print enthusiasts, students, educators, graphic designers, typophiles, artists, and printers, new or old, will enjoy the demonstrations, tours, and array of vendors and exhibitors. All ages are welcome. So come by and say hi, and buy some pins and prints. The SF Bay Area Printers Fair in Ways Goose will be at the San Jose's History Park, April 21st. For more information, visit printersguild.wordpress.com or SJ Printers Guild on Facebook. There are links to all of these in the show notes and at booksinthewild.com. And now let's talk about some fake news. If you've watched any television shows or films in the past hundred years or so, You may have seen characters reading newspapers that seem somewhat familiar, but somewhat off, with titles like the Los Angeles Tribune or the New York World. 
One particular newspaper that appears in dozens of shows features a woman with dark hair in the caption, She's third brightest but hard gal to see. Or a full-color front-page image of space titled, Comet Show Leaves Nations Speechless. Or ads for brands like Brenner's Black Cat Brew or M. Essence Perfume. In the sitcom Married with Children, Ed O'Neill's character Al Bundy sat down on his mustard-yellow floral couch nearly every episode and read the exact same newspaper from 1986 to 1997. This same newspaper makes appearances in Scrubs, Modern Family, No Country for Old Men, Everyone Hates Chris, Back to the Future, Desperate Housewives, Charmed, That 70s Show, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and classics like Citizen Kane and Cincinnati Kid, and many, many more. There have been many online compilations made with images of various movie characters reading the exact same newspaper. So why does this mysterious newspaper keep showing up in all these programs for decades? Well, in 1957, there was a paper shortage caused by a rare pulp-eating critter called a wiggle mort, from the French meaning cellulose deathworms. After a particularly bad infestation at the Foghorn Paper Mill in Cincinnati, the government declared a state of paper emergency and banned the production of non-essential paper products, and for the next 50-odd years, Hollywood had only one newspaper in its possession to use in films, which was passed from set to set accompanied by an armed guard. No, I'm just kidding. That was fake news. I don't know French. See how easy it is? Check your sources. So why does this newspaper really keep showing up on film? Well, it is a fictional newspaper created as a prop. That much is true. And if you've never noticed these identical newspapers before, it's because film props are meant to blend into the background. Just like some might say about typography. It usually only gets noticed if it's bad or if it feels out of place. Even people who claim to know nothing about design would think it's weird to see an obituary written in Comic Sans, and also would probably notice if an ancient Roman soldier were wearing a digital wristwatch on film. So essentially, props are good when you don't even notice they're there. This particular prop newspaper is simply a stock item prop available for $15 each, originating from the Hollywood prop print shop known as Earl Hayes Press. Over the years, the newspaper has become a bit of an Easter egg for film buffs. And like the Wilhelm Scream stock sound effect, (coughs) filmmakers continue to include it in their films as a wink and a nod to film history. This stock newspaper is just one of over 25,000 different printed products that the Earl Hayes Press produces. They specialize in custom props and period-accurate printing. Let's say you need a historically accurate newspaper from June 14, 1947. Earl Hayes Press can do that for you. They will make sure that every detail is accurate and copyright-free so that you don't have to worry about it. An avid traveler in the early 20th century, Earl Hayes would sketch license plates and collect newspapers and ephemera from all over the world. He collected famous issues like the London Times announcing George Washington's death or the sinking of the Titanic. When he founded the press in 1915, Hayes used this collection as reference material to print accurate props for filmmakers. Soon, Earl Hayes Press became known for their masterful recreations of printed matter 
and believable fictional product brands. Today, Earl Hayes Press is still family-owned and operated, although Earl Hayes himself has long passed. However, current owner Robert Hernandez Sr. has been dedicated to ensuring the same accuracy and attention to details at the press since the 1960s. Now semi-retired, Mr. Hernandez's family and small staff share the workload. Earl Hayes Press are experts at recreating not only newspapers and magazines, but they also create fictional brand food and drink packaging, signage for fictional businesses, license plates, passports and state IDs, police and government badges, and even money. Anything and everything where it might not behoove the filmmakers to have the real thing in their movie. They have a large selection of period-specific graphics and typefaces, along with practically a museum's worth of historical references. Film production companies use fictional brand props because it's usually cheaper and much simpler than all the legal headache of gaining clearance and licensing or dealing with product placement fees. So instead, they can pay Earl Hayes Press to create products like Morley Cigarettes, the preferred brand of the cigarette-smoking man from the X-Files, or they create brands that sound familiar enough to be accepted, but not so familiar that you can get in trouble for it. Brands like Teb Soda, Cola Cola, Captain Sugar, or Fudgy Flake Cereal. Altering a trademarked logo into something unreadable but still reminiscent of its original is a process called Greeking. The complication lies in that the prop master needs their items to be believable, to sell the illusion on film, but not so recognizable that it conflicts with the likelihood of confusion trademark regulations. The goal is for the audience to glance at the item, recognize it as a soda or cereal or whatever it is meant to be, and then move on and not linger. Too many or too few details, or inaccurate details, results in breaking the audience immersion. Earl Hayes, press owner... Mr. Hernandez, recalls seeing a performance of Annie, which is set in the 1930s. During a scene where a man runs on stage presenting a telegram, Hernandez saw that the paper was a modern-day telegram design, with a big bar from the State Department on top. He was so disturbed by the discrepancy that he called the prop man the next day and sold him a dozen telegram blanks from the correct time period. It might seem innocuous, but someone will notice. It reminds me when some friends and I saw an advertisement for bookbinding that showed a paperback book being squished inside a nipping press. And we laughed and laughed. There are lots of nerdy snobs out there, and they will call you out. It's really catchy and fun. Losers, in other words. Well... What sets Earl Hayes apart from their competition isn't necessarily the printed products themselves, but their authentic feel largely due to their impressive collection of reference material. They have an archive of all kinds of printed material throughout history, with different font and paper samples to match. Though some of the processes are digital these days, many clients want the props to feel as authentic as possible, and so Hayes often still prints from their old presses with period-type woodcuts and plates. As Hernandez mentions in an interview... Most of the time on a project is spent on research and planning. The actual printing is the easy part. To recreate a newspaper, one would need to be familiar with the history of newspapers. Though there were bills posted with news on them, dating way back in ancient Roman times, the newspaper as we know it 
meaning an inexpensive, widely distributed periodical of contemporary happenings and announcements, started in the early 1600s in Germany, about a hundred years after the development of movable type, which made printing more accessible. From there, the printing of newspapers developed and spread, with most major cities having their own newspaper, and even sometimes multiple competing newspapers, by the 19th century. Then, as now, publishers raced to have the most up-to-date news faster than the competition, resulting in the daily newspaper by the mid-19th century. Which, because typesetting was still at the time all done by hand, meant that the compositors would work overnight setting type to be ready to print before morning. The development of linotype machines in the late 19th century led to even faster printing and laid off a lot of type compositors. The linotype machines were attached to a keyboard that composed text, casted type, and redistributed the type molds. The linotype operator used the keyboard to assemble molds, or matrices, of sequential letters. Then, molten lead was put into the mold, creating a line of type, or linotype, to be printed. Sometimes, the metal type was still hot as it pressed into the paper, spawning the term hot off the press. To make a newspaper, first a blank form is divided into sections, which are to be filled with news stories, ads, and headlines. This blank paper, or blank form, is called a dummy. Then all the articles need to have the appropriate size and style of font and spacing in between to fit into the allotted spaces. This is called leading and kerning in typography. This whole process is called typesetting because it literally used to require setting individual pieces of type into a form to be printed. Now most typesetting is done electronically, at least in the contemporary newspaper world. Once the typesetting is complete, the digital page is then transferred to film via laser. I want to emphasize that what I'm describing is how they make newspapers now, because we didn't really have laser photo imaging technology in the early days of newspapers. After the laser does its work, the film is processed into negatives, which are then used to make printing plates. These printing plates are used to print newspapers. This is usually done with an offset press, where the plates transfer the image onto large cylinders, which the paper is run through, and then the image is offset onto the paper. Hence, offset press. Today, some commercial offset presses can be ginormous, two stories high, and can print up to 60,000 copies per hour. Most films don't usually need newspapers in such quantities, so smaller presses are typically used for props. But the typesetting, layout, and printing process is more or less the same. The difference being that many newspapers and films are entirely fictional, and rather than editors focusing on the accuracy of facts, they focus on the believability of the content. Now, prop masters don't usually choose fictional newspapers because it's difficult to get real newspapers approval. Many well-known papers, like the New York Times or Los Angeles Times, will gladly allow for their papers to be shown on film, provided that they are recreated exactly as the originals. Exactly down to the typeface, the layout, every advertisement and headline, and ornaments. 
When Earl Hayes Press was tasked with printing replica newspapers for the montage scene in The Godfather, they had to find the original papers from the 1950s, recreate the design to a T, and print new old copies, which then need to be approved by the publisher. One really fantastic resource to look through old newspapers to maybe match some of the design or aesthetic is the Library of Congress's Chronicling America. It's an archive of historic American newspapers. This site lets you browse and search a fully digitized archive of newspapers from all across the country. It is a very cool site to get lost in if you're into reading old news and advertisements, or if you're looking for reference material to recreate a particular era of print design. And of course, it's not just newspapers that might need some recreating. Earl Hayes Press doesn't only make props for films, They also make fake IDs and badges for undercover police, FBI, and homeland security for sting operations and drug busts. In exchange, Earl Hayes' work with the law enforcement has allowed them access to items like badges, warrants, and other official documents that aren't usually easily accessible to the general public, which allows them to make very believable recreations for films and movies. One of the more complicated items for prop companies to make is money, because you have to walk that fine line of believability and authenticity, and this is a legal currency and you're going to jail. All reproductions of U.S. currency were banned in the Civil War era, but starting in 1958, certain black and white illustrations were permitted for philatelic, numismatic, educational, or newsworthy purposes. So in older films, prop money didn't usually try so hard for realism because the rules were so strict, and the film quality and clarity didn't really allow for the viewer to see such minute details anyway. One source for money in early films was old Mexican pesos that were rendered obsolete after the revolution in 1920, and many, many films over the next few decades featured these bills. But by the mid-1980s, currency reproduction laws became a little more lax when Time Inc. challenged the federal government's definition of educational or newsworthy, after they got in hot water for featuring a photo of cash stuffed into a basketball net on the cover of their magazine. This led to the 1992 Counterfeit Detection Act, which states that the Code of Federal Regulations permits the printing, publishing, or importation, or the making or importation of the necessary plates or items for printing or publication of color illustrations of U.S. currency, provided that, the TLDR version of that is, you can print money if, the illustration must be a size of less than 75% or more than 150% the size of a real bill and the illustration must be one-sided if in color, and all negatives, plates, and digitized storage medium, graphic files, magnetic mediums, optical storage devices, or any other thing used in the making of the illustration that contains an image of the illustration or any part thereof shall be destroyed or deleted or erased after the final use in accordance with this section. So, how does the film industry work within these restrictions? very, very carefully. One trick that filmmakers use is to glue a real bill onto a stack of blank paper, because, contrary to popular belief, you can use real money in movies. It's just in scenes where you have millions of dollars in cash on screen, one usually doesn't want to carry around and transport million dollars of cash to a set where dozens of people are going to be coming and going. To make fake bills, 
You can make small changes into the text, like for motion picture use only instead of the United States of America. Some of them use pictures of David Crosby instead of Benjamin Franklin. And nowhere on the bill can it say that it's been issued by the U.S. Treasury. However, as film quality and clarity advanced, it became easier for the audience to point out phony props. And so prop designers had to step up their game when it came to details and believability. And now, thanks to high-definition television and 4K, images are so clear and so real that they look fake. When you're actually looking in the real world, you tend to have a central focal point, and your brain automatically blurs your peripheral vision. But in these high-definition televisions, one of the reasons it tends to look fake is because everything is in focus all at once, and there is no central focal point anymore. So in addition to seeing every single hair and pore on an actor's face, you'll be able to see things like makeup that they're wearing or prosthetics, and any minuscule mistake on a prop will be noticed. Prop makers need to make money look real enough to be believed on film, but not so real that it's considered counterfeiting. But even after following all of the rules, it's almost inevitable that trouble can arise when dealing in the phony money biz. In a scene from the film Rush Hour 2, an explosion caused thousands of bills to rain down in a casino in Las Vegas. And this fake money found its way into a few anonymous extra and onlookers' pockets and were passed off as the real thing in more than a few transactions on the Vegas Strip. The makers of this dubious currency, California-based prop company called Independent Studio Services, received a cease and desist to end production on their fake currency, and were ordered to turn over all of the digital files and inventory. Although ISS still maintains that they followed all of the rules for printing the money, there were at least 28 differences, different size, and they did not claim to be issued by the U.S. Treasury, the props were deemed too realistic. The Secret Service confiscated and destroyed approximately $200 million in prop money from ISS, which was a loss of about $160,000 in real money. And even Earl Hayes Press has to be very careful when dealing with printing prop money. Each printing plate is sent to the Secret Service for pre-approval, and then it's destroyed after the print run. But even with these precautions, Earl Hayes ran into trouble for the 1960 film The Cincinnati Kid, where the 1930s-era prop money from Steve McQueen's poker game looked a little too real. Hernandez recalled the incident in an interview in the Bloomberg Business Week. The whole thing is a stud poker game, so for an hour and a half, money is going to be flowing all over the table. So we did the artwork on the money. The law says you cannot use any part of a real bill. So we did everything phony. The numbers, everything was original art all the way through. But it looked amazingly good, even though nothing was from an original bill. And then the money showed up in bars and clubs in New Orleans, and Earl Hayes Press got a knock on their door from the Secret Service. Then again, in the year 2000, a metal band filming a music video in Florida threw prop bills into the crowd, and some of the prop money didn't make it back. 
and later ended up being spent. The props were approved, but then trouble arose when the fake bills started showing up in shops and banks across the country and were traced back to the creator, Earl Hayes Press. The Secret Service came to the press and collected the plates, and they had the printers burn the remaining paper bills in a lot behind the press while they all supervised. After about $100,000 of fake money was burned, the Secret Service even confiscated the burned ashes. The moral of the story? Be careful when printing fake money and fake news, I guess? Well, I hope this mini dive into prop printing piqued your interest. If you would like to learn more about Earl Hayes Press, or how newspapers are made, or what not to do when printing fake money, I've posted links to all my sources in the show notes. For more information about Books in the Wild podcast, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Books in the Wild Podcast. You can also visit the website at booksinthewild.com. And if you want to reach out and say hi, I can be reached at booksinthewildpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.